Good morning. Man, if I haven't met, or my name's Tim Kimberly, I get to be pastor here. And we, we do believe in preaching through books of the Bible um, because we believe that God himself even directs us, even if we say, okay, we're going to preach through this book, that it, it's fascinating how certain weeks it'll be like, man, we didn't even plan this, and now we're preaching through this by just committing. And then it also has us preach things, you know, sometimes you're like, ah, it might be easier to skip this section, you know, and if we're just kind of preaching on whatever sometimes, and we will have times that we feel led in a certain direction, but it's like we need to hear all of this, all of this word for all of us and for all of our lives. And so we're at third Sunday going through the book of Genesis. And Genesis 1 gave us this big picture of creation. And the most striking point in Genesis 1 is what type of a God is this who can create worlds out of words? His words equal worlds. What type of a God speaks like this? And then last week what we saw is on day 7, he created, on day seven, he created rest. And gosh, that is a message we could, we could preach that every week probably for, for months and profitably um, as we are not a society that rest is, uh, you know, tell me about what American, you know, 21st century America is like. Oh man, it's a, it's a nation of rest. Everyone has deep rest in their souls. It's like, no, it's, it's whatever the opposite of that is. And how he created rest for our bodies, rest for our souls. That's in the heart of who he is. And Genesis 2, we're in the, the, the brunt of Genesis 2 this week. And what Genesis 2 does is start to zoom us in to one aspect of chapter 1. It zooms us into um, the creation of us. The creation of humanity, the creation of Adam and Eve. Now, I think there's a tendency to be like, I live in 2022. Is it worth my time to spend any time around Adam and Eve? And uh, there's a tendency, I think, to just wonder, does that have anything to do with my life today? And remember, the original recipients of the book of Genesis were slaves in Egypt that were getting ready to be nation builders a nation that would be a light to other nations and that other people could get to God through observing this nation. And what they did not need at that time was a history lesson on Adam and Eve. They did not need a history lesson on Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are long gone. But why they needed to hear this book is because they were needing a relationship with God to do what God was calling them to do. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we observe and we hear God's words about that time, we are not like, oh, that was a pleasant history lesson. Let's all go and live our lives. We are needing the same encounter with the God who is as powerful as alive as he was then, now. And so in these pages of Genesis, we have reality. I, I need to see reality. We have a compass. What, what direction? I don't even know where I'm at. You know, like we, we have GPS coordinates. We have a compass. We have words of life. We have words of God for today. 
And one of the things before we dive into starting in verse 4 of chapter 2 is this whole section that we'll be in for a few weeks is all centered around next week. So uh, this is an opportunity to like leave right now, but it is an opportunity to say like, man, I would encourage you to do whatever you can to make sure that you're here next week, Lord willing. Because this is very much part one of part two. And I would even go as far as saying, if, if you said, Tim, you guys might be in Genesis for a year, I can only make one Sunday. What Sunday should I make? I would say next week. If you, if you need, now I'm not saying the other places aren't important, but if you could only make one Sunday in this entire series, please make it next week. And you already have plans. It'll be online. It'll be on the podcast and stuff. But that's the crucial aspect for us as a church, I feel like we need to hear. And today sets it up. So look with me, if you would, at verse 4 of chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It starts, these are the generations, is how verse 4 starts. And that word, generations, is like a signpost that we're going to see throughout the book of Genesis. So whenever we see that these are the generations, it's kind of like a tour guide is saying, all right, we're getting ready to set off. We're getting ready to set off on a journey. I'm taking you somewhere. So it's not, and and this is not merely meant to inform us, as I said, it's meant to give us roots. I'm going to take you someplace and it's going to give you roots and roots that you need. And Another thing that we wouldn't see unless we kind of go a little more into it is there are different names that are used for God in the Old Testament. And like I thought of my son uh, this week, I have like, a, like several nicknames for him that I just kind of like he could probably tell how I'm feeling about him based on what nicknames I'm using at that time or whatever. And one of the things with, uh, and I'm not going to share what they are, but <laughs> one of the things that with God is in chapter one, his name is Elohim. So all throughout creation, Elohim is the name that's used for our one God. And that name, whenever it's used, typically is emphasizing his power. Elohim, you know, it's, it's meant to emphasize the power of God. There's a transition in chap, from chapter 1 to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, the name Yahweh is being used. And Yahweh, whenever that name is used, it is usually emphasizing his relational aspect of his character, his relationship. Like, this is a God who is relational. 
So we have Elohim in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we see Yahweh as the name that is being used to emphasize his relational uh, heart. And Adam here is made from the dust, but he's given a breath of life from God. This is the only, that breath of life in creation is only used when it's speaking about people. So he's created all these animals that are alive. But we're told here that he takes from dirt, which, man, I, I feel like all of this in my life, too, where it's like, sometimes I feel like, I feel like I'm made from dirt, <laughs> you know? Like, uh, I'm, I'm come from dirt and I'm going back, you know? Like, I, I feel that just in, in life, and, and we're going to see that a lot more next week. But then I also feel the greatness of having God breathe life into me and life in the way that he says that we saw previously that we're considered that we're made in the image of God, that we are more like God than any other thing in creation. And that connects to our consciousness, our morality, um, our creative aspect, and even the way that God relationally interacts with us. And so he breathes into us the Imago Dei, the image of God. He puts Adam in the garden that he creates. And don't think, when we're envisioning this beginning of this chapter, don't think of your backyard garden. You know, don't think of Adam like living, like he's like a garden gnome living in your garden, you know. Like, I, I, when I envision Eden, I envision like a national park or maybe like a state park. Like, there are two trees that are mentioned, but it doesn't mean there's two trees in the garden. You know, I think of this as a paradise national park that Adam and Eve are placed in to uh, to be the caretakers and be the stewards of it. And we'll, we'll see all this as this progresses. But there are two trees that are mentioned that are significant. The first is the tree of life. And it's a fruit-bearing tree. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're going to see the tree of life is definitely not a, a one-time concept here. This will be, we'll see this uh, further in the Bible. But two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So even today, we know of three of these rivers. Two intersect. The third doesn't intersect at this time. Um, but what we are seeing, and I think what should be most taken away from these verses, is that God has surrounded, surrounded the garden with riches. He, God lavishes on them so much to enjoy. Then verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but 
Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he first says, in the garden I want you to work it and keep it. And fascinatingly, both of these are very spiritual words in the Old Testament. So keep, I want you to keep it, is the exact same word as keeping the Ten Commandments. So there's a nature of like, I I want you to keep this in the same way that you would keep the Ten Commandments, with with an obedience of a stewardship. This is yours, and it's yours to steward. Keep it. And then work it is the word that's used in other places for service, for even serving God. That the, the way that they work the garden is serving both the paradise of Eden and it's serving God. And that, I mean, that's the goal for all of us in work, right? It's like, man, if you could actually worship God as you work is, um, is uh, most fulfilling and honoring to him. Verse 16, at this time, is the only command in existence. The only, the, the only thing that's given to humanity as a something to follow, a, a command, is, and it's prefaced by saying, you can eat of anything. It's all yours. I mean, imagine the extravagant, imagine if like, I find myself, like, I'll keep with, like, an L.A. theme, or I find myself at, like, like LeBron James's house, and, you know, and, like, I'm there with my family, and somehow he, like, found my number, and he's like, Tim, I want you to come out here and just treat my home like it's yours, and, and, and I'd be like, okay, but I'm kind of secretly, like, not, like, I'm nervous that the whole time I'm, like, doing something I should, so he's like, listen, everything here is yours, you can drive all the cars. You can, you can you know, take a bath in every bathtub. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Like, please don't sleep in my bed. You know, like instead of being like, man, that guy's a jerk, you know. But instead be like, wow, he truly has given me everything. Uh, he just asked me for one thing. And that is how he's treating Adam in the garden. Is It's not a limiting nature. It's like saying, I'm going to be specific here. Everything here is yours. You can't eat from that tree, which means you can eat from the tree of life. They can enjoy all of it, and it unlocks everything else. Go for it, except for this one thing. And the, the picture, and there, there's a song I like from a, a band called Beautiful Eulogy, who uses this as an illustra- or a lyric in one of their songs, but it's, it would be like thinking of us as a kite, and there's a kite string that connects us to the ground. Now, the string of the kite actually allows you to soar, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like, if you had this incredible kite that is just owning the sky, and it's amazing, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to free it. Let's cut the string. At that very moment, it becomes less kite, right? At that very moment, it might be like, oh, look, it's go. Oh, no, it's crashing. You know, it's, it's definitely crashing. And that string actually is what connects 
to the ground so that a kite can soar. And here, what is happening is that this one command is like the kite string. And to say like, hey, it's connected to the owner. It allows it to soar. If you eat of it, if you cut the string, if you disobey, you will surely die. Now verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So on the heels of saying, if you cut the string, you're going to die. If you disobey me, you will stop soaring. On the heels of that, for the first time, he says something about his creation is not good. First time they said, I've made something that's not good. And what is not good is that man should not be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, what is crazy about this to think about is that Yahweh is a relational God. And how we know he's relational is not because he has just that he, he invites us into a relationship with him, but at the very top, the fountainhead of our God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So forever, God has been in relationship. Forever, God has been in a, a relational God, okay? So even like the hope we have for any of us to be in proper relationship with each other is truly in God's heart, the Trinity. Like he has been in relationship without conflict forever. So what Adam could say here, so my point here is Adam could say, God, I am not alone. I actually have an exclusive relationship with you. I am the only human being alive with the Trinity. I have never had so much relationship. I've never been so not alone. Now, granted, like he's just been created, so he doesn't have a long history here. But I do think he possibly did have a, a history here of life by himself. And God... God, Adam could have pushed back against God and said, I am not alone, I have you. In reply, this hypothetical, God would say, Adam, you are alone. Even with a relationship with God, Adam, you are alone. An exclusive relationship with the God of the universe still means you are alone. And I think we should receive the significance of that. So if someone's like, you know what? Now, I'm not dissing that we don't have an amazingly fulfilling relationship with God. And that that is true. And we relationally must have a relationship with him. And at the same time, we have to have a relationship with each other. A Christian who just lives in an apartment, gets all of their door-dashed stuff, gets all their food delivered to them, you know, only interacts with social media or Netflix or whatever it may be, um, is very unhealthy and is truly alone. We must have each other. And Adam had to have someone else. And to remedy what is not good how God is going to remedy what is not good is he's going to create a person. He's going to create what he says is a helper. And man, you might not have received it this way, but a lot of people receive this like, 
oh, wow, he's creating a slave. He's creating a, a servant. He's creating a woman who's going to just, like, be this doormat, you know, type person. Like, uh, how, how, why, why am I even reading this? Well, that is not what this is saying. The word helper throughout Scripture is only ever used for God outside of here speaking of a person. So what the nature is, you could look at a helper being like below, but one of the things about the heart of God and his creation is that another place where helper is used is to speak of a physician. Like, like with the mindset of, of like, I'm, I'm a physician, I'm a doctor. And so a helper is meant to help someone. And that is true, but it's not at all. God in no way sees this as like, this is a lesser than. I will make him a helper fit for him. So look how this plays out in verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. I mean, try to picture that. This is like the parade of all parades. Like this was made, would, I love the Collins Days Parade, but it's not having every creature pass in front. This is a parade that never, ever be seen again. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. This took time. This is not something that happened in 10 minutes. And it's, it's amazing to think of this parade and also to realize the value of naming something. Like, no one's ever come up to me and been like, Tim, we want you to name our next child. W whatever you pick, that's what the name will be. You know, it's like, and I've offered too, but no one has ever, like, like you know, name name my, because I, I don't have the right to do that. I really don't. And I don't have the, like, it's not my child. I, I don't have, like, you name what's yours. So having Adam name all the animals just affirms, once again, God's heart towards us and saying, like, no, really, I created all this and it's yours. You have dominion and leadership over this place. And you name every animal. Steward it. And Adam had heard from God that he was alone. But after this time, this naming parade, um, he just truly feels like I am alone. Everything I saw, nothing is going to be my helper, going to be... Um, the way that God was speaking about. I am alone. So verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. So, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And we see in Genesis chapter 1 that 
when it's talking about men and women, it says men and women are made in the image of God, male and female. So in, as man is made in the image of God, woman is made in the image of God and are not the same. So there are aspects of masculinity that is a unique thing found in the image of God. There are aspects of femininity that we see unique aspects in the image of God, where a, a woman will reflect things about the nature of God that a man doesn't reflect, and vice versa. And God doesn't create a baby. That would be super awkward, right? Here's your wife, a baby. You know, he doesn't do that. He, like, and I don't say that to be crass. I say that to like, envision this. He creates a grown woman. And one of the things that I am so, I just love about the miracles of Jesus even, is if you observe closely, many of his miracles, and especially his first miracle, it, turning water into wine, might not relate here, but realize several of his miracles, he's instantaneously able to make something that's old. Like my brother makes wine for a living. We actually serve his wine here that he makes in, in Iowa. And you know, I've asked him about this. Like, he's like, it is literally impossible to make wine, like if you're out of wine and it's a big party, like at his vineyard, he's like, I'm sorry, come back in six months, you know, I'll have more. It's impossible unless God is the doing of the work, okay? And so if, if wine cannot be made instantly unless God is doing the making, people cannot be made mature unless God is doing the making, and so we see this, and we see it many times in Scripture, um, and Adam and Eve don't have parents, they have a maker. And it's interesting to talk about, do they have belly buttons and all that stuff, you know, if, but they're, they're, they're created as mature people. Then verses 24 and 25 are given to be descriptive for like future generations. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There is no shame here. Shame does not exist on planet Earth at this time. And it was designed to stay this way forever. Now, they're told to be fruitful and multiply, so it's not meant to just be the two of them forever, but it's meant to stay this way forever. That's the design. With no disease no disappointment, no destruction, no death. And Adam is a masculine man and part of masculinity. And that doesn't just mean like he's a mountain man, but like he's, he's, a, he's a man that's unique from a woman. And there's a capacity in masculinity um, for a uniqueness of strength and protection. And Adam is to use his strength to protect his wife and upcoming kids. Eve is a feminine woman. Once again, doesn't mean like our cultural definition of feminine in the way of like, you know, just... But it, an aspect of femininity is a bringer of life. Bringer of life. And this is the ability to bear children. And that's a unique life-bearing aspect of femininity but it doesn't stop there. So, like, can you be a feminine woman and not give birth to kids? Yes. 
you bring, there's so much about bringing life around you and the way that you step into that. So Adam and Eve, working together, created together, uniquely reflect the image of God, and they're commanded to enjoy what God has made. In their relationship, they're commanded to enjoy what is around them, and then for them to not die, for their family not to die, just don't eat from that one tree. And you see, and we're going to go way more into this next week, that they are made to give their all for this mission. That, like, the man is meant to be like, okay, I need to protect my family from death. And I need to, I need to lead my family to not die by just following the one thing. And you see how Eve is really created to, to desire for their family to have life and for their family not to die. And so together, follow my ways. Eating from that tree will bring death to you and all who would come after you. The design is for Adam and Eve to be one flesh together, to remain their individualities but to be each made together in a way that God describes it in verse 24 as one flesh. When you see them, it's like you're seeing one person. Not because they've lost themselves or any of that stuff, but because together, they, he calls them one flesh with what they're able to do and be together. Together, obeying God's good world, enjoying it all, helping each other to follow God, and that's like the kite string. Together, let's not cut the kite string. Let's stay connected to him. Let's follow him. And if together, oh, you know, if one of them's tempted to cut the kite string or not, like, no, we have to be connected to him. That is how we soar. And they had it all. Truly. They had it all. I, there's an old song from a, a group called A Hundred Year Storm. And it's about this time period. And the title of the song is Yesterday We Had It All. Yesterday We Had It All. And if we don't see what God has done here, it's going to be hard for us to actually see anything today. It really is. And so what are some implications? What are some implications with this? Um, because the goal of every time that we're interacting with God is that we would be changed that we'd move towards him, that we'd be changed. So one of the goal, one of the implications here is that you do not have to be married to soar. You don't, you know, don't be like this and be like, well, I don't have a spouse, so I guess I'm alone, and I guess I can't do anything that God is calling me to do. Don't hear that. You don't have to be married to soar. A woman doesn't need to be married. A woman doesn't need to have children to be alive and soaring as a woman. This, you, you can soar in so many other ways. There are many of examples of people soaring without marriage. Jesus is a good example. I think Jesus did okay without having a spouse. The Apostle Paul, and I know those are two guys, many great examples of women of God too who, who were able to soar um, without marriage. Unmarried people can be all that God has called them to be. 
You don't have to be married to soar, but you do have to be connected to God to soar. Like, you can't be like, well, I don't have a spouse. Cut the kite string, and I'm just going to float. It's like, no, I have to be connected to him to be what God has called me to be. You don't have to be married to soar, but you need to be connected to God to soar. Second implication, we need married men and women obeying God for a people to soar. We need men and women who are married and not just like, well, we're married and we go to church. No, it's like together you are actually walking with God. And if a man and a woman who are married are walking with God together, a people are soaring. And that is his direction. Like that, That's what we, we see here. This is true for the first people who read Genesis, is that God is saying like, hey, you need to see what I'm seeing here. As you guys get ready to enter the promised land, there must be marriages where husband and wife are walking with God. And if that is happening, you will become a lighthouse. And now other things need to happen too, but like this has to be a, this is central. This has to be a central part of a community. And I know it's unpopular to say that. And I think the book of Genesis is, is overly going to be unpopular in many ways. But we have to see. We, we, we have to see the absolutely crucial nature of, a, of husband and wife who are married, obeying God. And here's the thing. If you are married and you're like, well, we're messing up there. If you're divorced and you're like, well guess this message isn't for me. I'm going to crawl out of here. Hope nobody sees me. If you're widowed, if you're single for whatever reason, because you're young, because um, for, for whatever reason, if you're married, divorced, widowed, single, as a people, we need to be lifting this up. As a people, I remember when I, would, I had first given my life to Jesus, and there, I heard that there was a gathering of men at 6 a.m. in Des Moines, uh, married men, like strengthening each other to, to be like the men of God that, that God has designed people to be. And like, I wouldn't be married for like six years, but I remember being like, can I go? Like, I feel like I need to know this. Like, even if I'm not married, maybe if I'm never married, I want to help strengthen all the marriages around me to be what God has made them to be. And if God allows me to get married one day, like I wanna, I wanna start being discipled now of what would this look like? Because I want to be a part of the community that God is building to be a lighthouse for my friends and for all of us to be who God has made us to be. So, so what do we do with these implications? Man, would we soar? Would we lift high how to soar as a community? And what is fascinating is that they were given one command, don't eat from this tree. We're given one command, See the person on the tree. That's really the, they were said, don't eat from this tree. We are given a tree of life, truly, with what Jesus did on the cross. And we're told, respond to him. Follow him. Follow his ways. He's creating a new garden. In some ways, you can say all of the Bible is getting us back to the garden. And he is creating a new garden, and he invites all of us there. 
all of us to be there. And so whenever we encounter something that could like give us resentment, could give us shame, could give us like all sorts of crazy stuff, the, the thing we must do is go to Jesus and be like, make us these people. If you're like, I want my marriage to be better. I, I, want, my, I, I want us to follow God more than we ever have. Because I'm understanding, like, this is, this is his design for what a marriage should be and could be. It could be like, man, I want to value marriage more than I ever have. It could be like, man, I, I just want to be able to soar seeing what they had before the crash. And God, I'm coming to you to, to be who you are making me to be. I'm coming to you, and that is, that's why we do communion every week. It's because we want to end the message not by saying, well, try harder, change your mind, you know, stop doing this, start doing this. Like, those are rules that are, are legalistic and breed religion, but don't breed an alive people following Jesus. We want to be an alive people following Jesus, and what the table offers us is to say, hey, let's come to him as we come to the bread, as we wine or juice representing his body and his blood, we want to say, like, God, I, your heart and design in Genesis 2, like, I, 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 want, I want you, and I want you to form us as a people to be as alive as you've designed us to be. And for some people, that might mean saying, like, man, I'm, I'm sick of us having a marriage like this. I want us to truly have a marriage, and it's, it's a simple illustration, but it's like a triangle, if you think of a triangle, where like husband's over here, wife's over here, and God's at the top. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. If you're far away from God, you're far away from each other. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. And it's like, I want that as I come to Jesus, and as I encourage my spouse to come to Jesus too. And um, man, that might be felt like this is, it's okay for things to get really messy from here on out. It's okay for us to be a community together that's like, hey, I'm all broken here. Um, I'm, here here's my very complicated story with what we're talking about today. And it's like, yeah, that's why we're walking together. And please don't go home without having us pray for each other and encourage each other. And, and maybe there's a longing to be married. There's a, a longing for what could have been, what used to be, all that stuff. And it's like, man, we want to, let's walk together, please. Um, this is a safe place to, to not be okay because we're following the one that, that's okay. And he's got us. So, so Lord, we give all this to you. Would you form us to really be an authentic community? Thank you for how you have designed all of this. And Lord, as we'll see next week, um, we are far from home, and you are alive and well, and we want you, and we want what you have for us. And so, um, Lord, even as we come to the table here, would you, would you reveal to us just what it would look like to just step into more freedom, step into more of the life that you bring? And um, Lord, would you just light up our community with your goodness, and, um, and we, we look to you to do that in our hearts right now. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.